Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal women and those of you who love them. Yes, you, mothers, daughters, grand and great-grandmothers, fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, here we dig deep and we come up strong. For those of you joining us for the first time, each month we explore a new theme inspired by you. Yes, I said you. We bravely walk into places where transition, excuse me, tradition has taught us that there's some things we just don't talk about, but not at this table. And no matter how hard judgment knocks, it cannot come in. Beloved, here we live beyond the wreckage. Every week we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We share some aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week we start right where we are. I am so excited about how the show is progressing. Guess what? We're in month 10 of proof that dreams can come true. Frankly speaking with Tyra G was one of my most precious dreams. I thank God for every remembrance of you and your gifts of ideas, your presence, your encouragement. Guess what? Those are the gifts that inspire. Y'all know I can't do this without you, right? Thank you so much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device, and we are webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, should you miss us, say you have a hot date. No worries. You can catch our podcast on YouTube, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, that's easy to email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm listening. Our theme these two months is Courageous Conversations. Two big words two big ideas, and a big space to walk into. Sometimes it's even uncomfortable. And for us to get a return on our investment, we're going to have to show up authentic and vulnerable. Our gifts of our own imperfections are going to help us receive in love information about issues that may be uncomfortable to think about, to deal with, to anticipate, and to forgive. We're going to contemplate, evaluate, learn about, be surprised by, and celebrate. I have received wonderful feedback about our previous Courageous Conversations. Miss Sunny Crow revealed her journey as she faced breast breast cancer not once, but twice. Sylvia Washington-Jones helped us understand intergenerational caregiving of a loved one with a developmental disability. Nicola Costa took us on an emotional journey into a space we call domestic violence. Susan Young shared her family's story of the impact of having a daughter seduced into sex trafficking. Dean Klein opened new doors and talked about what Fairfax County, Virginia is doing to end and prevent homelessness. I even jumped into the conversation. I shared my lack of courage when I received my unexpected brain tumor diagnosis. It went something like, what do you mean I have a brain tumor? Well, what we all discovered was the fact that the ability to have a courageous conversation is often a process. It's a journey. It's not an event. Just because it's necessary doesn't mean we're ready. Sometimes we have to grow into it. And sometimes courageous conversations happen 
inside of and stay inside of our heads and our hearts. Sometimes courageous conversations are dressed in silence. We all have times or seasons when it requires courage to make it just from one moment to the next, to take one step to the next, to say one word to the next. And sometimes we let fear and shame and guilt demonize our potential to overcome. But for now, for today, we're going to pause in a place where we can be mirrors for one another. Our goal is to better understand topics that don't make polite conversations or occur at the dinner table. We're going to look beyond and behind the terms that I talked about before. And we're going to look into their potential causes, effects, their victims, the stakeholders, and the necessary conversations. To create our common thought space for today and to introduce our topic, I'd like to read you a quote, and it begins, I know the Bible says you can't have sex before marriage, but why can't you? If you're in love with a person, it doesn't feel wrong. That's Kendra, age 14. My boyfriend and I don't want to mess around anymore, but how do we keep this commitment? I never realized how powerful passion can be. That's Sherry, 15. Kids at school are pressuring me and my girlfriend to have sex. I want to wait until marriage, but I'll worry about how it makes me look. That's Daryl, age 17. I feel cut off from God. I want to do what's right, but I can't seem to. Recently, I had sex with a guy thinking it would be, it would bring us closer. I know now it was a mistake and I feel ashamed. That's Amy, 16. A lot of Christian teens are having sex and suffering painful, sometimes devastating consequences. Meanwhile, those not having sex are thinking a lot about it many of them wavering between fear and curiosity. Parents, youth pastors, and other concerned adults might hope that the influence of biblical principles on their young would help them withstand the onslaught of peer pressure, physical longings, and conflicting signals from secular voices. Like, don't have sex, but when you do, use a condom. Several teens speaking to the Christian reader reveal far more complicated pictures. The battle is to stay pure. One last quote says, We lie to you because we don't want to disappoint you or get yelled at. And that's Bethany, age 17. Just as a teenager's life gets more complicated, the stakes get higher. Heartbreak, STDs, and pregnancy become immediate risk. At the same time, from a developmental standpoint, teens are supposed to be pulling away from adults in their lives. In a sense, this pulling away is, is good for both parents and teens. It's one thing to be an 11-year-old's main confidant, but no parent truly wants a play-by-play -play of their 15-year-old daughter's date or more more than that teens don't want his parents his or her parents to understand or know about their romantic life but at the same time many teens don't have the maturity judgment or sophistication to make possible life-changing decisions regarding sex without the input of an older wiser adult so that's the bind we find ourselves in needing first to see what's truly going on in a teen's sex life, and two, to talk to teens about sex and sexuality in a way that will empower them to confidently make intelligent, responsible decisions, even though they don't want to talk to us at all. At least that's the way they act. On the front lines of this communication gap, many parents and other adults who care about teens are saying, what's going on with my teenager? I found this thong underwear, this love letter, this condom, and I'm not sure what it means. Is my teen in love or in danger or both? Help. After the break, we're going to meet a couple. We get a double blessing today, a man and woman of faith 
who are both committed to and are passionate about the quality of life of young people. More importantly, they both have walked into this space that many of us, where many of us fear to tread. You want to stay close now. And we are back. We're back for a double treat. I was just thinking about this as I was listening to commercials. We rarely have both male and female perspectives on the show at the same time about a topic as important as this. And I guess you figured it out, right? We're talking about young people and sex. And our guest have a different lens that they bring to the table or see through because we have Dr. Charles and his partner and wife, Jabaria, uh, who is pastor, executive pastor of City of Grace Church in Mobile. And um, this is going to be interesting as well because usually I ask uh, my guests to introduce themselves as if they are a book living in a human library. And I ask them to tell us their story in such a way that we want to just keep turning the pages and be a part of their lives. So the challenge is going to be now, I'm going to ask both of my guests to introduce themselves in whatever format they want to choose. But I guess it's polite to do the the lady first. So Jabaria, why don't you begin? Good morning, Tyra. Or good afternoon, rather. Hi. I am... Hi, my name is Jabaria Dent. I am the executive pastor for the City of Grace in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, my husband and I uh, have a blended family. We have children, uh, young adults. We have uh, a son who's a recent high school graduate that's getting ready to go off to college. And then we have another daughter that's in high school in the 10th grade. And then we, our youngest daughter is in middle school. And I, I intro that way because of the topic that we're talking about, um, ta- having those difficult conversations uh, with our children. And so my husband and I are first uh, husband and wife, and then we're parents, and then we're pastors. Um, because if we can't pastor and lead our own home, we can't lead anybody else. So that's a little bit about who I am. Charles, you got any footnotes going on? But she really gave a short introduction. Hey, I'm, my name is Charles Dent. Um, yes, we are pastors or parents. Uh, we are we are also partners with our, our company, Dent Enterprises, where we do parenting programs and things of that nature to help parents so they can make these right decisions about how to raise their children, basically put some tools in the toolbox of the parents. Uh, I could say for me and my life and what, my book is where you can continue to read the story. You know, I really did a lot of research when I was younger on sex and relationship as a teenager. I was too afraid to have sex because I didn't want to get anybody pregnant and things of this nature because I want I didn't want the responsibility of trying to raise somebody else's child. And so, I mean, try to raise a child when I was not ready. So uh, I waited. I mean, I had my first child when I was 30. So you know, we could talk about those things and why I waited so long to do that is because I didn't want that. I didn't want to bear that responsibility. So as Jabari and I, we, we work together so well with our kids and how we do have a blended family and how it makes a difference in their lives when we talk about these issues of sex and relationships because we she created the program Love, Sex, and Relationships, and we talk about that a lot at church. We are open about sex in the church, and we share a lot with, with adults, too. So because sometimes adults are not educated themselves in how to educate their kids about sex. So we're constantly doing that. You know, I'm, as I'm listening to you, Charles, I'm remembering, uh, and yes, I can get that far back to being a teenager. And uh, yes, I had hormones and all the challenges that come with growing up. Uh, but I was interested in something you said, because for me, I realized my first response was fear. Because my mother said, don't bring, uh-uh, don't bring nobody's baby in here, you know. And the, the, the various threats, and I knew it was a generational thing. I understood that in my head. But I realized in my heart, she scared me. I was like, uh, I'm not ready. I don't want to do that. And then as I got older and it was an option, I thought through my own independence in that relationship. So I appreciate you saying, you know, you waited because 
you you weren't ready. You didn't want to do that at that point in time. But um, there's so much that you said that I want us to walk walk into, particularly that you have a program, Love, Sex, and Relationships. Secondly, that you have a faith community where you readily face that. And thirdly, I want you just to talk about the current environment as you see it today for our young people. Um, we know about social media. We know about movies and television. But what are you hearing from their hearts? What, wh how do they present? That's what I want to say. How do the kids you're working with present? Well, Tyra, my background is a youth pastor. So when I came into ministry, uh, ever since I was a teenager and a young adult myself, I've been a youth minister, um, working with young people. And it was interesting because as I was growing up and dealing with and, you know, battling my own temptations, dealing with my own sexuality, my own set of hormones, my own stuff, I'm here having to lead other young people. And I think one of the biggest things in, in, in my life has been, I just, I did not want to be a hypocrite. I did not want to say one thing talk to people about one thing and live something differently. But I think when you look at the environment, because your question was about what is the environment? Yes. In a, in a 30 minute sitcom, hmm. uh, 12 minutes are of actual sitcom material. The other 18 minutes are uh, marketing in that marketing over 90% of that marketing is going to be sexually charged. Yes. And it is on purpose. We sell, we use sex to sell everything from cars to toothpaste and everything in between. And mm -hmm. so our children are constantly barraged with issues around sexuality, around, you know, what, what defines beauty, what defines uh, desirableness, what, desi what uh, defines sex and success. And, and many times the two are linked. Yes, yes. And so... Our children see, you know, if I want to be successful, if I want the nice, the, the fine guy, if I want the house and the car and all this, I need to have sex. And guys, like, if I want the girl, if I want the power, if I if I want the job or all that stuff, I, I you know, I, sex is it. And so it's, it's just a, our children are constantly being barraged with that information. And we have to be real about that, no matter, you know, even in PG-13 movies now. Yes. Uh -huh. You've got sexually charged scenes. And so there's really, where's the safe space and, for our children to go and turn it off? And I'm also hearing you say, um, and I appreciate you breaking down the numbers, okay, in the 30 minutes. People, I think, are not aware of that because we are... It's, it's so much a part of us, we just expect. But I hear you saying that uh, sex is a commodity, period, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so uh, sex is power, sex is inclusion, sex is sexy. And we have all the definitions, external definitions that are affirming that that's where you need to go. My question, particularly to you saying being a youth pastor, I have in, in my work, just really life skill coaching work, is I've been able to get to the place of fear in some of the young people. They don't want to do it, you know. They're not right. ready, but they don't know how to how to manage that. Have you run into that, and, and what do you do? Well, and I have with, uh, when I talk to the boys, and even when I talk to Christopher and I talk to the son, Mm -hmm. I talk to the guys about this, and I really just go to the to the reality of what they do in the locker room talk. I do a locker room talk with the boys. Okay. What they do, how they talk about girls as if they're a trophy, and and I tell and I say this, and I said this, and I'll tell Jabari. I was going to mention a book that I wrote. A woman gives up her heart to a man who has a heart for another woman when girls' hearts are not ready, and yes, they get to yes. that they think they're ready for a relationship because they're a certain age or their body is developing, but their brain hasn't developed to deal with the rejections or the hurts that come along with them. Yes. And so I also, and I also say this to the, I told, I, I say this to, I did this in a workshop one time, an old man came up, 
I said, when us come to us as men, we're dumb when it comes to women. If women don't teach us about themselves, we don't know them. Yes. And we make the assumption that we do know women and we don't know them. So these young boys who are, I, I tell my son, like, you're going to have your dumb days. And the dumb days happen when you're a teenager in those years. And I said, you know, these boys don't have any clue about a woman's heart. They don't know how to protect it. They don't know how to guide it. They don't know how to nurture it. And so girls jump into relationships without thinking about the consequences of their heart. And that's my view of it. And I think when girls protect their heart, it makes us better as men. Well, I'm also, I want to extend what you just said, because uh, I I raised two boys. They they didn't come through my womb, but they, they live in my heart. And what about their hearts? I mean, yes, everything you said about girls is true. But but I find boys are sensitive and tentative and sometimes timid and confused. And so they it's more than just girls teaching them. It's family. It's 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 a lot of stuff. It's it's looking at those 30 minutes that Jabaria talked about and then um, having having a um, breakdown of what was seen, a conversation after that, like what just happened? You know, where was the talk about where where was the sexuality? Talk about talk about the illusion, the nuance and stuff. So kids begin to that's what I want to say. Think critically. That's it. Think critically about the environment and the moment that things are happening to them. Don't just jump. Say what if. And is there any other way? Well, I, you know, I, I tell, I start by telling parents, I, I back up and I, I tell a lot of parents, we have to understand where our children are developmentally. Yes. And then the part of the brain that is developed, first of all, our brain is not fully developed until the age of 25. And the part of the brain that is developed last is the part of the brain that weighs long-term consequences. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, I laughingly tell parents, you know, really, until our children are 25, they really are technically stupid. I mean, they really don't. (laughs) They really don't think through life the way we think through life. And so so I, I try to help teenagers think critically by saying, okay, what the first thing you need to understand is that your brain right now is not wired to think about what it's going to be like after the five, ten minutes that you call intimacy or sex. Yes. So your brain is not thinking that. Your brain is living in the moment of what feels good, looks good right now. And then to top it all off, you've been sold this bag of goods by the world. And Satan does a very good job of showing you the front side of things. He shows you the the sexiness and the prettiness and the smell good, look good, feel good, but he doesn't he doesn't show you the morning after. When you know you're you're running to the bathroom and you're panicked and wondering, am I pregnant? Um, does he have a disease? Does she have a disease? What's going to happen to me now? He doesn't, you know, the enemy does not show us that side of things. We only see the here and now. And so we have to trust that what God says is is the long-term good plan for our lives, despite what we feel and see and think right in this moment. Um. When you mentioned the morning after, I have run into some teenagers. It's the moment after. Uh, They feel the disappointment. They feel the shame. They feel the guilt. And then how do you turn and look at that partner and uh, know that the mask you must wear then is satisfaction? You cannot be authentic and say, you know what, that didn't feel good. I ain't like that. I don't even want to do that with you anymore. Um, how do we give them the courage to uh, to be authentic at those moments? I think a lot of times you have to practice with young people. You have to give them a safe space to be able to have those practice conversations. I actually had a young lady um, that I was working with and mentoring who came to me who thought she was pregnant. Uh-huh. And she had a huge pregnancy scare. And she said, you know, Miss Dent, I didn't, you know, I 
I just I don't want this anymore. I don't want to talk to him anymore. I don't I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, okay. I said, well, let's let's have that conversation. What does that conversation look like? What so, does that conversation feel like? So you're actually doing role play with them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, good. If they allow me to. Good. I say, if I'll be the boy, or if it's a guy, I'll be the girl. Yes. Uh, I had a young man that didn't like a young lady, and he we spent a whole period of class. I was helping him practice how to how to be honest with her and let her down without breaking her spirit or breaking her heart. And he's like, you know, I, I want to be friends. I, I don't want to disrespect her. I don't want to hurt her, but I just don't like her like that. And how do I have that conversation? And so a lot of our kids just need safe spaces where they can they can talk it out, where they can actually have somebody that'll that'll play that other person for them. And we can't always do that. But I think as parents, if we're willing to do that with our children, if we're willing to say, okay, you know, let's practice how you're going to ask her out on the first date or, you know, how my, I helped my son create his promposal for his girlfriend. You know, what do you want it to look like? What do you want the reaction to be? You know, how do we, if we take the time to do that with our children, then I think it will help them to have those conversations because one, they know we support their choice. And two, we've given them the tools and the life scripts to be able to, to talk that thing out in reality. And I'm, I'm loving everything you're saying. I, I hear you say several things. Create a safe space. Uh, practice the language. Practice the conversation. Have the correct information. The tools. And um, one thing that was very helpful to me uh, with my boys is this whole conversation about what's the worst thing that could happen and take mm -hmm. that to the extreme. Okay, well, that happened. So what? So she, she thinks you're rejecting her. Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? Just take them down a path where they begin to say, well, wait a minute. The worst thing isn't that bad, you know, and, and begin to give them alternatives. I remember uh, their father saying, always have alternatives to any decisions you make. And I'm sure now that they're grown, I don't know if they remember that, but I'm praying that they are practicing it. Now, here's the hard question. Okay. How are you going to get parents ready to do what you just suggested? Well, one of the things that we have been doing is whether or not we were in the school system, whether or not we have the parents been adjudicated to the program by the judge. Okay. With parents in that situation, uh, we help parents in the church. We help parents in other settings with um, other places where they have been, they living a facility. We help parents where we get the opportunity to do so. And the parents are listening. They're hearing new options. They're hearing different ideas. And, you know, like certain times, as you mentioned yourself being a coach, you know, we try to get parents to see how they coach their kids without trying to, you know, being in control of the kids. To see. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, helping parents, we're helping parents where the opportunity presents itself. And so uh, we, whether it's in the school system, whether it's in the uh, court system, whether it's in other private entities, we're doing just that. We're helping parents to try to get the tools they need and to have those conversations with their kids because the kids are having those conversations with other kids who, who have, don't have the knowledge of giving the kids a different alternative of just showing them different options, consequences of the decision that they are making. So that's helping the parents see that there are, you know, options for themselves to look at and say, hey, there are some other options I can help my kids with. And then if the parents are running into difficulties, we try to teach parents about having having a family meetings with their children, talk about different things that happen in kids' lives. And sometimes, like Jabari and I, you know, we have to do one-on-one -on -one with our kids, and that's fine with us because we understand that's the process. And we don't allow our kids to skip the process because the process is important. Absolutely. And the kids about, they pick up our language as well, and they help others. We hear them talk about others. And like I try to teach the kids, the one thing about having sex is damage your memories. And when you go into one relationship, you got that memory, this last sexual relationship you had, and then it's constantly damaging your memory. You, now you got all these multiple relationships piled up in your memory bank. 
and those memories start coming up. And so kids will start hearing that as well uh, because I, I was, since Jabari having a conversation with you, I thought about this one situation when I was serving as a chaplain that this one girl had sex for the first time. She was about 25. Her mom had almost told her sex was dirty and nasty and everything. So she had a, she had a breakdown. She had, and she, she had to be admitted in the hospital. And when she wanted to talk about it, her mom showed up and it shut her down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we have kids and we have young adults like that as well cannot have those conversations with their parents because how their parents had viewed sex growing up themselves and it made it difficult to have that conversation. So like Jabbar said, you give the kids a safe place that they could talk about this without somebody judging them, knowing that we have all seen the fall short of the glory of God and that we understand what grace is all about. We give them a safe place, but that safe place is a grace place where we're not here to judge them. We're not here to con- con- we're not here to condemn them, but we're here to help them. We're here to show them that there's other options they have in life. Um, so, a couple of things are running through my head themes uh one is the theme of forgiveness and and uh to me that's big when you're trying to grow a child okay understanding the role of forgiveness because mistakes are human and uh in that whole conversation of forgiveness it's uh to me important to talk about decisions that you make and if you do an oops then how are you going to recover you know, and and the biggest thing that I discovered with young people is their ability to forgive themselves for the mistake. That's one thing that's running through my head. But the second thing is, and you had mentioned this, Charles, um, the com- the intergenerational tapes that we carry around in our head. What Mama said, what Daddy said, what Uncle said, what Grandma said about sex. And how that gets translated and sometimes to the extreme where it becomes domestic violence. Do you all deal with that? And how do you, if yes? Date, rape, date, yeah. I I think that's very important because um, I spoke during our Love, Sex, and Relationships conference. I said how different the dialogue uh, or the conversation is with our young men versus our young ladies. Okay, okay. Young, young, Young ladies are raised and told to keep your legs closed. Young men are given condoms when they, you know, sow your wild oats. Well, who are they going to sow their wild oats with if everybody, if all the girls' legs are closed? Yep, keep going. So <laughs> when you don't, when it's not given, then young men take it. Yep. Um, or they're more aggressive. Or the other extreme is they feel totally rejected and somehow they've done something wrong and so they shut down. Their sexuality and their psyche is damaged. The young lady's sexuality and psyche is damaged because we're told to keep our legs shut. And so if we enter into any type of sexual relationship, we're doubly the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment is almost overwhelming because... You know, we've been called, you know, you, you know, they say ladies, whores and harlots and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, and the guys are called, yeah, the, the guys are called, go ahead, boy, you sowing your oats. You you know, the, they're virile and they're celebrated the more women they, they conquest. And girls are villainized and victimized. We have the scar, it's the scarlet letter syndrome is what I say. It's, it's you know, the girls are given this, this, this marking as somehow being less than. And so we have to change that conversation. And first we have to, you know, say that, you know, one, God created sex and God said everything he created was good. And so sex in and of itself is good. It is how we choose to use it and helping our children identify other ways of intimacy because that's what they're longing for. Exactly. They're longing for intimacy. They're longing for acceptance. They're longing to feel loved. They want to feel loved. They want to feel valued. They want to feel validated. They want those things. And so they're going to get it one way or another. The thing that, um, and I want to park right where you said, we'll put a comma there. Um, They want to feel, one one of mine, let me put it this way. Uh, One thing I will say to anybody, you are worthy walk in your worthiness 
okay? We came here with everything we need to be who we were create who we were created to be. But two things, we're talking about the men and they're going, "My man, you know, what I learned is young men learn to lie, okay? Uh, they're not doing half as much as they say they are. And, and sometimes, I'm going back now to the sexual violence, the date rate thing, sometimes in their frustration, okay, of, of, of claiming the power, because that's what it's about, and in their ignorance, and they see the behavior as the only way to create the feeling. And that's where I think we as adults have an obligation. We, we need to talk about language, the language of intimacy, what it feels like, what's holding hands, what's, what's eye contact. I mean, you know, I don't know whether you've seen this or not, but when I go out, I see kids on dates and they're looking at their phones and I'm thinking, okay, all righty then. What's this going to be like? And very often I've had young people in the studio, and I said, okay, so what happens when you turn your phone off? Well, we don't. Okay, how do you know how someone feels about something if all you have is 240 characters? Because the written thing you see on that page is maybe one-eighth of the full communication. You know, you need the body language, the tone of voice, the eye contact. We're losing that to a screen. So I, I put all that in a big pot and say to somebody, okay, this is the world you're living in. How are you going to get what you need out of that to be the best that you can be? And I'm hearing you say practice. I'm hearing you say you're working with parents. But I also believe that young people, a lot of them are suffering from PTSD. They're so, and, and, and PTSD comes from rejection and trauma. And, and those 30 minutes, Jabario, you talked about, those are the, to me, that's the fertile ground of, of building up situations where, where young people are challenged and they don't always have the answer and, they, and they're miserable. And, and like you said, they don't have a safe place. So I want to commend both of you in your commitment to creating that. But I want you to continue the conversation on how you're going to help these parents. And when I say parents, I'm saying anyone playing the role of a parent because we don't have maybe what we grew up, two parents and all that. We got a whole bunch of people that are nurturing our young people through life. So, so what are the kinds of things, what are the kind of messages are you going to leave with the parents that are listening to help them help theirs? Well, I think, uh, first of all, one of the things that you probably not do in our parenting class is so you think about what the Bible said, without vision, people perish. It didn't say without money. It didn't say without opportunity. It says without vision. And when parents don't have a vision for their own lives, the kids won't have vision for theirs as well. And so now they have no boundaries on their lives. They have no they don't know how to go about making the decisions they need to make because they have no vision. And so if we go back and bring everybody in Jabari and I both agree with this, and we bring people back to God. Just bring people back to God. I know we got a lot of lost people out there and a lot of people struggle with Christianity relationships, but God is all about relationships. And God created us for relationships. God created us a relationship first with him and with one another. But if that's not a reality in most people's lives, that's why all the confusion and all the stuff that's happening in people's lives, because we're not bringing people back to God. Okay, so how do you do that, Charles? I hear well, you. I hear the words, but how do I bring somebody back? Carefully, slowly, by building a relationship with them. If we build relationship with our youth and people of that nature, without trying to be religious per se, but being what God wants us to be. God wants us to be in their presence. God wants us to develop those relationships. And I, and I got this one quote, the student that, that, that when the student is ready, the teacher will show up. That's right. And That's I right. Know when, when the student is ready, the teacher will show up. When these students are ready, these parents are ready, God will intentionally interrupt everything and send a teacher to teach them. But if I'm a parent, like, I don't need help with this, I got this attitude that I already know how to raise my kids and all this other stuff, but then I see the fruit my kid's producing, and I'm going like, wait a minute, I, I need some help with this thing. And so 
Jabari and I have been there and they say, hey, we create that safe place. We create that grace place for people. We teach people how to do these things. But it's a process. It is a process. And people can't get to a place that, hey, I'm going to put down the cell phone. Not when I'm habitually picking up the cell phone every time we're in a conversation. I can't lay the phone down for five minutes without talking. Uh, something wrong with that picture that I'm more addicted to that little thing called cell phone and people don't address the habits that we do have. We take our habits in one relationship to the next relationship unless we address those habits that we have. And so those things, I think the, the things is that people need to have the certain things in their lives or have the outlook or the process or the people that they have in their life to show them here's some of the things you might want to consider. We, we don't try to tell parents, hey, you need to do this and do that. No, we say, here, have you thought about this? Have you looked into this? So without vision, people perish. That's what God says. God didn't say without money. He didn't say without education. He said without vision. And so if people don't have a clear vision of where they are and where they're leading their family, that's why we use the running wild. That's what the word perish means in Hebrew. We run wild because kids don't have a vision. They don't know where they're going. You, I tell the kids, you're going to end up somewhere. You don't have a vision. You are going to end up somewhere. Trust me. You're going to end up somewhere, but not the place you intend to end up. Because we all end up somewhere if we don't have a vision. So, and the other thing that, I, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say the other thing we tell parents is one of the activities we do in our first session with parenting is we take parents on a timeline. And in order for you to, to heal, you need to be honest about where you've been. And so we help parents to walk through because just like you say, children are dealing with uh, PTSD, parents are. You know, the lost death, you know, most parents dying, support systems dying, uh, many times the judicial system, incarceration. I mean, there's a lot of factors that traumatize us during life, but a lot of times parents are, we bury things, we hide things, and we don't deal with stuff. And so um, helping parents to go through that timeline and be honest with themselves, and the one thing I do tell parents is, when, when you have those difficult conversations with your children, don't freak out. I know it's our intent. You know, if your daughter comes to you, your 15-year-old, your 16-year-old says, Mom, I think about, I want to have sex. My, my initial reaction is to go and try to find a boarding school in England and ship her there. I know that. I know that's, that is my first reaction as a mother. And so sometimes I tell parents, sometimes you're not ready to have that conversation right in that moment. Sometimes you have to say, let's pick this up tomorrow. <laughs> Let mama digest that and we can have that conversation, but you need to have it. Let me and ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, okay. Um, I believe, and I'm going to ask if you agree, I believe one of the critical success factors to parenting is the ability to be vulnerable. So like you just set up just now, Jabaria, uh, when your daughter hypothetically comes to you and says, hey, mom, I'm ready to have sex. Where are, I mean, are you, and this is what I had to learn, comfortable enough to say, you know what? I want to talk to you about that. But right now, let me tell you how I'm receiving that that sentence, that word, your desire. Right now, I'm a little off-center because, one, I may not have expected to have it right now, you know, this early. Or, two, I want to say the things that are going to help you move through that decision. So I am really a proponent right now, those of us in... Uh, positions to connect and empower with loved ones, we have to be vulnerable. We have to be able to say, I don't know. We have to be able to say, mm, I'm really uncomfortable about that, but I'm going to do my best. You hang in here with me and I'm going to hang in with you. What do you think about that? The ability or the necessity not to look perfect, but to be vulnerable with those that you're trying to lead and influence and love. I think that is the key because if you are without blemish, if you are so far removed mm -hmm. from the, the reality of the situation, people can't connect with you. Yes. Nobody can connect with perfection because we're not perfect. Exactly. So um, 
one of the things, and, and children, young people are, they have a radar for, you know, phony. They have this phoniness radar, and it is on point, uh, on target all the time. Yes. And so they will sniff out a hypocrite, and they'll be quick to call you on it, too. They say, how are you going to say this when this happened? Or why are you going to do this when this happened? And so I think we have to, one, be honest and be like, uh, you know, I'm I'm in my feelings right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling some kind of way about this situation. <laughs> yes, I probably I probably shouldn't have to go talk to Charles because we have a joke in our family. I'm more of the Peter. I'm the off the cuff, off the cliff, ready to jump in, hair on fire type. Charles is the Christian Yoda. He's the one who's always calm, always soothing, you know, and and the one that's able to, to, to take the situation down. I'm usually the one that's, oh, what's going to next? And uh, so they'd probably go to him first, and he'd be the one that would come and talk to me after he'd already fixed it. So <laughs> what I'm hearing him. you say now is you are blessed with balance in your relationship and your marriage. And yeah, and so I think it's important to call that what it is. Balance is a blessing. And we also, as we say this, Jabario, there's a whole bunch of women out there that don't have a Charles. And there are a whole bunch of Charleses out there that don't have Jabaria. So we have to come up with scripts that help those who are struggling alone as well well and i think that's where we have to deal with our pride and say hey i need help with this situation and you know call hey let me get with like you said let me talk with you tomorrow about it and then call somebody and say hey my daughter my son asked me about sex at this age that they want to have sex and so you know what do you think i should say to them and i think people need to have those outlets that they can find that answer without people being judgmental they said, what? Your child want to talk about sex, you know, and all this other stuff. And realize it's just a natural part of our life, you know, and, and which it is, you know, how how kids handle it today. Because just like it's, I mean, sex is everywhere. It's like Jabari said, it's everywhere you turn. It's sex. It's somewhere. It's some video. It's some music. It's some TV program. It's everywhere you turn. There's some form of sex. And, and so... Our kids are just constantly bombarded with all the stuff that's coming their way, and they need to be able to filter it in and out of their mind and know how to filter it. And so those parents, parents, you know, just like I had this when uh, True Love Waits conference, I remember in um, Atlanta, this kid, they asked this kid to sign this True Love Wait card. He said, I'm not going to sign it unless my mom signed one too. Because a lot of times parents don't know how to wait to a single parent. Because I remember... I was dealing with one couple, and I asked her, I said, they were going to get ready to go to a divorce. I said, I got one question to ask you guys. Have you thought about how y'all going to handle sex once y'all divorce? And the wife went like, oh, I, I didn't think about that. <laughs> you know, so, you know, the, how the kids see what we do, they end up mimicking it or we end up modeling before them. So a lot of single parents are having sex with multiple partners, and the kids end up doing the same thing. So... I, I think we have to be that role model before them and be honest with ourselves and say, hey, if I can't wait, why do you expect my child to wait? And I think I want to basically, because we managed to talk through a whole bunch of stuff and have about five minutes left, I want us to acknowledge the elephant that sits in so many rooms. Now, we've talked about sex, the verb, the behavior. But what we really haven't focused on is sexuality. We may have to do a part two, because as you know now, it's in your face that there are a lot of options seemingly available to and confusing to some of our young people, okay? Right, and we can definitely talk about the elephant in the room because when we deal with, you know, homosexuality and everything of that nature, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about why is it because I was dealing with this one homosexual couple and they both wanted to get out of the relationship, but they couldn't tell each other because you talk about domestic violence. You talk about one of the partners dominant and controlling the other partner. 
those things need to be addressed, and they need to be addressed as soon as possible because one thing I learned that homosexuality is illegal in the kingdom of God, and so is, you know, us, you know, premarital sex and all those other things. We need to treat it the same way we treat other things. How did a person get like that to the person they start turning to their partner of the same sex? What what makes people do that? What you know, people want to say people are born that way. Okay, you're gonna your child gonna come out the womb. You say, hey, ma'am, I'm sorry, but your child's gonna be this. Come on. So how do you how do we deal with that? And we need to deal with it because our kids are confused about their sexuality, and they they need help with that. You know, some people say it's okay. You know, so. Well, I think for me, for me, I'm going to infuse my own editorial comment. I don't care so much about defining or um, what, what a child is dealing with in terms of sexuality because, again, that's a process, okay? I can be there for that person. I think what's important to me as a Christian is to love that person through the process, to let that person understand the behavior may be labeled S-I-N, but them as a person are label worthy. And so we, as people who are uh, hopefully role models, guides, uh, mentors, uh, parents, uh, nurturers, we have to be willing to say, you know what? I want us to continue to have a conversation. I don't want to lose you. I want to be a part of what's happening to you because we don't know uh, the consequence of those decisions and behaviors. We have to watch and be there for them. And I, I just, I don't know, I just think that's so important because there's so much judgment going on behind labels and half the time, I'm, I'm talking to young people, they don't even really know what that means, what the label is they're wearing. And um, I'm going to do something that's totally rude. Um, we've run out of time. <laughs> so uh, what I'm going to do very quickly is thank uh, Dr. Charles and Jabaria Dent from Mobile, Alabama, calling in and talking about sex and young people and sex and old people and sex and sex <laughs> and I'm going to say uh, this is just the first part of a conversation um, I'm going to say to my audience no matter what you think is going on in your life you are worthy and you are not your circumstances nothing that has happened to you will be wasted and that's the good and that's the bad and that's the scary you are not alone i want you to refuse to be refused and just for today treat yourself like someone you love i'm saying goodbye from frankly speaking with tyra g